thinnest area of this canal, this Gulf of Aqaba. On the other side, in that's widest spot, we're walking from there all the way to St. Albans. So we're looking at this landmass. Next slide. And so we kind of looked, and this is what it looks like as a geographic survey. Now, by the way, how deep is it? Because that's kind of another issue. I don't know if any of you ever heard someone says, well, you know, and it's all, pardon me for saying this, but it's always somebody that seems like they've got a pipe and they're British. But they're, you know, oh, well, you know, it really wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. Well, there's a problem with that. And the Reed Sea is basically kind of a marshy bog. And you know, and the idea of it was, is God blew a wind and it was like, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was like low tide. So they were kind of able to walk, which isn't dry, by the way. If you've ever walked in a marsh or a swamp, it's never dry. You know, and there's alligators in places like that, but just the same. Let's humor them. So what happens is Israel, the wind blew a little bit and they walked through this, you know, one each person, one after another. And then what happened is, well, all of the tiny little dwarf, you know, you know, Egyptians are going to drown in a foot and a half of water. I mean, it becomes a greater miracle at that point. Well, let me give you an idea of the depth here. The depth at its deepest spot, and it, again, it's right, in the, it's right north of the middle of the Gulf of Aqaba, just south of it a little bit, the greatest depth there. And the depth there is, to give you an idea, the BT Tower, on top of a BT Tower, on top of a BT Tower, actually 10 BT Towers on top of each other, and you still couldn't get the point to come up to the top. That's how deep it is at its deepest spot. Ten and a half BT Towers, or more than five shards, one on top of another. That's how deep this area is here. Now, people drowned in that. That makes sense. Is that kind of water? Well, that's, that's deep. It's actually more than a mile, to give you an idea. Well, so with that in mind, you found this little land bridge, but again, this is still deep enough underwater where you've got a couple shards here, deep enough for everyone to drown. Next slide. So he kind of started going, and he says, well, what if that were the crossing route? Notice the little beach there. Next slide. So again, that's when he found that the place was called, again, Nueva, see, is it? Al-Mizina. And again, that means the place of Moses' crossing. Okay, next slide. And so he started to look, and he found something interesting. This is on that other side, but it's a reverse angle. He noticed that there was one way out or in. And go ahead, next slide. And that's what it looks like. So if you were on that beach, for instance... This was your only way back in. And so if somebody had actually come across this area, there was no escape. Do you get it? Okay, next slide. Then he found something strange. He found, well, these things on both sides. Well, we call them pillars, right? Interesting, it appears as if they had been put there by Solomon. And what were they there in ancient Hebrew writing? Denoting, well, Moses is crossing. Strange as that is. Next slide. Then he also found bones. And some of them were ancient, of course. I uh, found that to be quite interesting. And a couple stones. Stones which, by the way, even testified of Joseph's seal. Okay, next slide. And then they started, then he went and did what, of course, any intelligent man would do at that moment. He dove. And once you get underwater, well, then it really gets fun. Does this look like anything to you? It's a wheel. It's a chariot wheel. Next one. And then he found this. Isn't this beautiful? And what is that? That's the whole axle and two chariot wheels right there. Next one. And that's sort of when you do it, when they kind of do it where they do it by density, when they take a picture by density, and that's what's on the inside density of it. That's the spokes of the wheel. Next one. So he found this in there, and he found this in there. It was just basically like a history book waiting to open up. Next one. So then he started to go, okay, well, so then this is what it takes to look like. And so again, this is walking from here. This is at least walking over to Juan's place from here. It's kind of to give you an idea. I don't recommend that particular route at the moment, but as the crow flies, that would be the idea. As deep at this point of a handful of shards, one on top of another. Okay, next one.
and we get back to it. Um, go ahead and go with the one that, do you have one that doesn't have this, but just shows this picture, Lauren? We're about to have it, right? So I'd like you to get the idea that when you're looking at water, as long as, thank you, thank you, as long as this is from the middle of it on a boat, to give you an idea. So this is what you're looking at. And what you're looking at, again, now at this point, is anywhere from 10 to 16 miles, to give you an idea. So when you're kind of looking at this, and you're going, and you're trapped on that beach here with that only one way in, that's where you're at in all of this situation. And underneath here, of course, now, just it's like it's like a candy store full of goodies, you know, if you're the kind that likes things like ancient chariot wheels and such. Now, I'm going to go back. I'm going to develop this text a little bit. I want us to take a look at it, and then we'll get into what happens, of course, from this point on. Go back to the beginning with me. It's, first of all, he tells us, and, and, and there, I think there's some really, really pertinent things we need to look at in this. And, I, and the only reason I give you all of that is just some of you kind of, you know, some of you kind of dig on stuff like that. It's just kind of fun to see that. By the way, so you know, 25,000 people, actually, it's, I think as many as 250,000 people dive in the Red Sea in the Gulf of Aqaba every year now. I mean, it's just kind of a, not in that particular area, more up north. Most of the diving takes place in this little land strip that Israel has is a claim to it, the area of Eilat. Matter of fact, we have a friend whose son is one of the instructors there. Okay, listen. God, by the way, notice the place where these people go, it's Ronnie's son. The place where these people go is a place God commands. Did you notice that in verses 1 and 2? The Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Now tell the, people, the children of Israel that they turn before to this place called Pihahirot. Try to, try to say that. Pihahirot. This is not fine. Come on, now say it with a little bit of vigor because you're going to say it as goofy as the person next to you. Pihahirot. Some of you are like, ah, it's easy for me. Um, okay, and then there's a place called Migdal. Migdal. Oh, come on, now give me, give me some. Come on, big Migdal. Okay, and then Baal Zephon. Okay, a couple words that you're going to want to know here. Migdal. Migdal, by the way, is the same word that Migdal. It'll become, the O becomes an A by the New Testament. That word means tower. In the Sea of Galilee, by the way, that little sea that's shaped like a harp where Jesus did the majority of his ministry, there was a city that was known for being for merchants, kind of known as kind of a sleazier neighborhood. And that particular neighborhood that was a bit dodgy was the area of Migdal. Now, by the way, Migdal means tower because the idea of it is you set up a tower so you can oversee things to make sure it's guarded. By the way, we do know there was one person from Migdal. Does anyone know who that is in the New Testament? If you're from Migdal, you might actually add something like, a, if you were from Nazareth, you might be a Nazarene. Magdal, Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. That's where her name comes from. She was from Migdal. That gives you an idea. Not this Migdal, but the one that's over there. So there's a tower in this place. That's the idea. There's this place called Pachicharot. Pachicharot means the mouth of the gorges. And then this place named Baal. Now, you're familiar with the name Baal, right? Because people worship Baal this, Baal that. Baal means master, to give you an idea. So what is this name? Zephon, by the way, means winter. So it means the master of winter. Well, the, the interesting thing is, is that most people still are having a hard time figuring out where these places are because nothing's named this anymore in this area. So you get to areas like this. And here's the key point of it all, is that God makes specific notice that he told you exactly where to go and where he sent them, listen, listen, was a place where you got backed into a corner. God actually will give you commands to put you in a place where there is no seeming way out. And the funny thing is, usually when we find ourselves in those situations, we actually tend to think that we must be either in disobedience, we heard God wrong, or someone's playing a joke on us. It's probably Satan. 
And I bet, you know, if, if we were like a charismatic church and we were the ones in the middle of this, half of those people would be like, this is Satan. I'm just rebuking Satan. I'm going to rebuke him. I'm going to bind him right here on this beach. But in the middle of it all, God sent you here and he sent you to a place where there was no way out. Listen, listen, listen. There was no way out that you could conceive because the only thing left was a miracle. And God does not have a problem putting you in a place where you need a miracle because he happens to be in the business of them. The problem is, God is also not in the business of having to do miracles he's already done before. Now, this the reason why this was such a miracle to these people is because they didn't have the pages that we're reading now. It isn't like they were like, you guys are going to love this. Wait till we get to chapter 15 and my sister jumps in on a tambourine and I'm like, sister, what are you doing? I mean, we don't get any of that. I mean, th- this is real life being written out in front of them. So all we know is we're back and we see that big, you know, water behind us and we've got that one little lip that comes in and, and, and Egypt's going to come into that place and totally shut us down. We've got this little beach here and they've got the enemy standing over here and you got the water over here and it's kind of like death and death and death. And you kind of look and you go, God, what is this? I was good enough getting out of Egypt. But God makes really clear by the middle of this two little things he pulls out of this text that kind of gets, well, it gets a little rough for us when we actually realize we're kind of like this too. One of those things we're going to see here in a moment, and that's in verse 8 where it says that the children of Israel went out with boldness. Now that may sound good. But the word boldness is the word room. Can you say room? It's that one thing that everybody wants when they're renting a new place. I'd like some room. Some room. I don't want to have to actually do everything by Ikea. And so, and, and the word room, by the way, means to be haughty. It literally, by the way, it comes from a term that means to breed worms. So in other words, get the idea of this. And that's how God kind of looks at pride anyways. It's kind of worm bait. But again, the idea that when, when Israel kind of left out of Egypt, they kind of, I mean, they were kind of like this beforehand, and now they're kind of walking out, yeah, 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 we're bad. Come on, chickly, yeah, come on. Mm-hmm. And God's like, mm, this isn't going to work. We are not going to play this game. And so God is going to put, now all of a sudden, what's funny is we're like, yeah, we're bad, we're bad. God's like, go over there, we'll go over, ooh, the beach. I'm going to have a little time on the beach, a little luau, check me out. And all of a sudden, we're, we're crying like little girls. Ah! And God's like, yeah, well, how bad are you now? And now, you know, God, God does that. And one of the reasons is, is because there's no room for pride in God's work. There's no room for it. There's no room for, what about me? I'm not, what about, because if you can't get it from the Lord, you're in trouble. And the moment you start seeking, you know, and start saying, you know what, it's your job to meet me on this area. It's your job to fill this hole. Man, you are setting someone up to be God, and no one's going to be able to do that. And so you kind of came out all proud and thinking, yeah, check out what I did. And God's like, what well, you did. Yeah, you killed those firstborn. You, you rained down hail. Nice job. Good job with that. You made darkness. Nice job, boys. And God's like, well, we've got a work to do. And that's only the first of the things. But notice in this text, by the way, it says again, in the beginning of this, these people left this area. He puts them into a corner. And then God tells them, let me tell you why. Because I'm going to put you in a place of peril. I'm going to put you in a place, listen, I'm going to put you in a place where it isn't like a miracle would be a cool thing. It's like a miracle is a necessity. And let's be honest, we would all love to tell our friends, our children, our grandchildren when that time comes about how God did the miracles. But let's be honest, we never want to be put in the place where we have to have one. When you talk to Sister Ange about the miracles that God provided, I guarantee you the situation she'll walk you through where God seemed to show himself as the greatest miracle worker 
She would never have volunteered for the situations that required those kind of miracles. And it's not just here, it's all of us. And understand, God wants to be, and here's the thing, God wants to be what we ask him to be, which is, God, could you be more real in my life? God, could you show yourself strong? God's like, I don't think you want that. And you know, what we think God would show himself strong would be is, could you just pay my bills for a year on January 1st? That would be awesome. But I'll be honest, I don't think a single one of us in this room would really run around and tell everyone about how awesome God is because of it in December. I'd, re- I'd dare to say, I don't think any of us would be talking about it by June. And the thing is, God really wants to be the God of what's happening right now. And the thing is, he'll put you in a place to look at, I've got a plan for you, and here's my plan. I'm going to put you in a corner. And then I'm going to make it worse. Now understand, all of a sudden, he brings up the enemy again. You think, God, why would you do this? Now understand, notice what God says. Pharaoh, verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 3. For Pharaoh, for means because, because Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they're bewildered. Now the word bewildered is for what's with Kachar, it means to be entangled by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. And I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. Now up to this point, we've been watching this interesting repartee between God and Pharaoh. We've watched Pharaoh's hardness heart, Pharaoh's hardness heart, Pharaoh's hardness heart. God is hardened Pharaoh's heart. God is hardened Pharaoh's heart. And there are some that would say, well, see, look at this. Here it is. God's just trying to make Pharaoh go to hell because that's just what I want to believe. But the scripture doesn't prove that here. First of all, it never says that God changed Pharaoh's mind. The word, by the way, that God uses for his particular word for hardened, by the way, is the word chatzach. Could you say chatzach? And it literally means to strengthen. It's like giving, your, giving your, your will a shot of steroids. That's the idea. In other words, if you already had, an, if you had a direction and God did this to you, it will not change your direction. It will further your resolve in that direction. Does that make sense? God is not saying, oh, wow, you're going east, but I'm going to harden his heart and he'll go west. That's not it at all. That's why God tells us to repent. Repent means to change, to turn around, to change your mind. And the idea of that is God would not tell us that if he was the one that was going to do it. In it, he asks us to make that choice. But the good news is, is that God can strengthen our resolve in a good thing too. And I often ask that. God, do this for me when I'm actually doing it right. On the other side of it, when we see Pharaoh hard in his heart, it's an entirely different word. The word there is the word chavad. Can you say chavad? Now, it's interesting because the word chavad, by the way, means to be heavy, to be weighty. Interesting, because it also means to honor. And the idea of it is, Pharaoh honored his own heart. He kind of weighed things out and he said, my heart wins, it's the heavier thing. Now please understand that in much of African culture and in much of Middle Eastern culture, a heavier thing's a better thing. As a matter of fact, in some of Africa, you're probably aware of this if any of you have been there, they'll actually tell you as a compliment, you're looking fat, man. You know, and of course, here that would send a girl like over to Atkins or like, you know, three, three one-year memberships to some gym that she's not going to go to. But on the other side of that, but there, that's actually a compliment. Oh, you're looking fat. And it's like, thanks, man. Yeah, you look, you look unkempt. But what they're saying is, wow, look like God has blessed you with abundance. (laughs) 
And the reason I say that is to be heavy. You know, I mean, some of you, if you remember the hippies from the 60s, they were like, heavy, man, heavy. And that actually meant a good thing normally. Wow, it's heavy. The reason I say that is, is that what happened is, is that when a situation, when a choice came, Pharaoh sided with his heart, and his heart was heavy, man. That's where it went. He sided with his heart. In other words, he was listening to Disney. You've got to follow your heart. That's the whole idea, but he was following his heart. Interesting, because it's the same two words that God uses here in verse 4. When he says, listen, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to strengthen his resolve so that I will gain honor over Pharaoh. And what does that mean? That I will be the heavy when this thing is done. Pharaoh's going to look at his heart, and then he's going to look at me. And that's what's going to happen. Why is that? Ultimately, notice why, because God is still not done with the Egyptians. In verse 4 it says, so that all the Egyptians, or that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And God's already delivered Israel, but I've got to tell you what, or he's actually, I'm sorry, he's removed Israel, but he still wants more e- Egyptians to come with him. It's like he doesn't look and go, you know what, I'm going I'm I'm to remove the Portuguese, but who cares about the Spanish or anything like that. He's like, look it, I'm not done with them either. And this is what God said, by the way, all the way back in chapter 7, verse 5. Now, it was told, and by the way, for what it's worth, when God talked about strengthening that resolve, 8, 19, 9, 12, 10, verse 20, and 27, that's God at work. When Pharaoh hardens his heart, 8, 15, 32, 9, 7, 9, 34, 10, 1, all Pharaoh hardening his heart, getting heavy. And God says, look, it, when this thing all gets down, I'm going to harden his resolve so that I will be the thing that gets the heavy. And that's where God ends this in verse 4. Verse 5, now we see it happen. So what happens? It says that the king was told that they left. Now remember how the king kicked them out? He said, get out of here, you and your people and your stuff, get out of here. And then someone says, hey, they left. And it surprised him. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Not if you've been in a really bad relationship. Because this happens all the time. Get out of here, I hate you. What, she really left? And we've watched that happen sometimes where sort of a couple comes in, the guy claims to be sort of a Christian, you know, and then he brings this girl because she's like kind of not a Christian and she's kind of suicidal and she's getting, because she doesn't know the Lord and he's treating her like garbage, like rubbish. And so they come in, she finds the Lord, and all of a sudden he kind of in his convoluted pseudo-Christian state kind of looks and she looks and says, homie, don't play that anymore, you're out. And all of a sudden he's like, he says, get out. And she says, good, I was hoping for that, I'm leaving. And then they'll come over and say, Pastor, what did you do to her? I'm like, you brought her to church, man. And she learned that there's something better than what you got, and it's called Jesus. And if, that, if you can't look like Jesus, don't go near her. Don't go near her. And I'm going to tell you, in this scripture, notice here, Pharaoh all of a sudden is kind of amazing. So what happens in this? It says, verse 6, he got ready his chariot and took notice, by the way, his people. Hasn't that been the problem from the beginning of this? It's always been my people, my stuff, my stuff. He took 600 choice chariots, and notice it says, all the chariots of Egypt, with captains over every one of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And again, that's that same word, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. And again, so here are the Israelites being all hoity-toity and proud, while Egypt is hot on their heels and they don't even know it. And those are those moments when you watch the movie, you're like, I can't wait for this whole thing to connect, right? And they're watching them, I'm bad, I'm bad, I know it, I'm it's bad. And while all this is happening, it's, you know, there's like every, every chariot. Now, let me ask you, when God says every chariot of Egypt, how many chariots is that? All of them. That's the part you need to know. God didn't give us a number. You know, Josephus might say, here's what I think it is. But in the end of it all, God will make clear, every, every, listen, every soldier of Egypt has come. And you know what happened? And you'd think, this certainly can't be the Lord. Because at this moment, 
all of hell seems to be standing against me. Why would God allow that? Because God is about to take all of hell down in front of him. That's what's about to happen. And if what happened in this is he took half the army, you'd lay awake with one eye open for the rest of your life waiting for the rest of Egypt to show up. God has this way of taking things that your battles in your own life, sticking them in front of you, and going, wow, I never, wow, I, 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 wow this, is, this is an area of my life. And you're thinking, how could I be a Christian and still struggle with this? And God has this way of showing it to you and going, now, at this season of your life, is this as ugly to you as it is to me? Because when I take this, I don't want you to fight me. Can I take this down now for good? And you're like, well, I'd, I'd like to not suffer the pain of it, but it's still kind of cute. And God's like, okay. You tell me when you want it gone. But when you want it gone, I want it gone for good. Because God plays for keeps. You're probably aware of the fact that to the police, the most dangerous call that you can get is a domestic violence call. Because with domestic violence, the problem is you have two people you have to watch out for. So what happens is he beats her or she beats him. Sometimes these days it's a little of both, isn't it? Right? You don't even know who the perpetrator is. They're both, one's down the steps and the other one's bleeding on the top. You know, and you walk in and we've, we've seriously, we've dealt with more calls, I think, where the woman's been the perpetrator. But anyways, but, and you walk in and what happens? Let's say, let's say he's been the one and he's been violent and you can tell that. And so what happens? The police cuff the guy and you know what happens? As soon as the police cuff the guy, she goes potty on them, right? The girl that's like, that was like, save me, rescue me. Now she starts trying to beat up the policeman, right? Because now you're taking his, her man away. And it's like, you know how dangerous that is because that same girl that knew she needed to be delivered five minutes ago now realizes she's going to lose something. And the reason I say that is every day God is called on a domestic call in your heart. Do you realize that? Because something's beating you up that you chose. You chose that bad relationship. You chose that bad friend. You chose that sin. You chose that thought. You chose that thing you thought no one else saw. And it's whipping on you right now. And God gets called into it. What the problem is, is the moment God starts taking it away, you want to yell at God about it. Because you're like, no, 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 no. I didn't say, like, could you just, like, tame it? Could you tame it? It's like what happened is we actually dragged a, a tiger into our house. And when we dragged the tiger into our house, we, we called, you know, sort of wildlife protection or whatever and we said, get this thing out of my house, it's killing me. And when they show up, you're actually saying, well, really, what I was hoping you could do was tame it for me so it could stay here. Let's be honest. When we look at our sin, isn't that what happens? It's like, you know what? What I really want is I want it on my terms. I want, like, all the pleasure and none of the payoff. Sure, try that at a store. Just tell them you want everything, but you don't want to pay for it. See how that works there. All right, now get the idea in this. So, so work with me. So what happens? God has allowed them in this corner, all of Egypt. Now, how much of Egypt, how much of Egypt's soldiers have come? All. Come on now, there's more of you than that. How much have they come? All. all right, all of Egypt's soldiers have come. Now, we don't know that yet, because we've kind of gotten to the beach now. We're having our little luau. And while we're having our luau on our limbo competitions, the beach, you know, it's like the soldiers are coming. And we don't even know that yet. And it says, listen, listen, because what God's going to do, remember how he said that was one of two things? One is that they're going to, they came out all proud. Here's the second thing God's going to expose in their hearts. Verse 10, it says, Then Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, Egyptians marched after them, and they were very afraid. So guess what? They, they finally figured out what's going on. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And this is kind of a, a fun word. So it's uh, sock. Can you say sock? Can you do it like this? Sock! One more time. Give me something with like a little bit of shrieking in there. Sock! Good, because the word means to shriek. That's the idea. When they cried out to the Lord, they didn't go like this. Oh, great and mighty God. 
They squealed. They shrieked. Ah! I mean, it's like all of the army of Egypt. How much of the army of Egypt? Oh, how much of the army of Egypt has to show up for you to shriek? Oh, see, do you? Oh, y'all, tough. Yeah, like he's like two, two, two is all it takes. Let me ask you, how many guys have to bust in here with a gun before you shriek? Yeah. Okay. I mean, in those days they didn't. In those days they didn't have guns. They had other things, but they had them. Every one of those soldiers. And look at they turn around. So they cried out to the Lord, but unfortunately it didn't seem like they shrieked long. How long do you shriek? Verse 11, it says, Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Now look what they said. Why have you done this? How horrible are you? You got us out of Egypt. And look at verse 12, because this is so horribly exposing. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better, listen, 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 it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Well, what's the wilderness? The wilderness are three words. Are you ready? I don't know. That's what the wilderness is. I don't know. I haven't been there. I've never been there. I was born in Egypt. If I'm 80, I was born in Egypt. If I'm 8, I was born in Egypt. My grandpa was born in Egypt. My dad was born in Egypt. Great Aunt Ethel, born in Egypt. We make brick. My dad makes brick. My uncle makes brick. I mean, even the guy that looks like a brick, he makes brick. We all make brick. That's what we do. We're brick makers. We're all brickmakers. All we've ever known is slavery. It's all I've ever known is bondage. But you know what? I'd rather be in that bondage than be in a place I, I don't know. How do I know it's going to be any better? Hey, it may be a lot better, but it's unfamiliar. Do you get it? Because it happens with everyone, friends. It happens with everyone. All of a sudden, you just, this is good enough. And then you get angry for the person who loves you. He says, you don't want to be here. Well, this, is, this bottle, I've known this bottle for 30 years. I was 11 carrying a fifth of vodka around with me in school. I was 11. Now, can you imagine? I'd say, well, that's what I knew. That's what was handed to me. I just happened to be goofy enough. I must have said stupid, but that could happen too. Where it's like, you know what? The unknown always seemed like more exciting to me. But you know what? For some people, they'd rather die in that misery than check out the unknown. Because the problem is, there's no like, there's no reversal. You know, it, you know, it's like those those revolving doors where you kind of only can go out one way, or those kind of doors when you go to those places where it's like govern, you know, where people have guns, where you kind of walk. You, when you walk out, there's no turning back. If you have to pee or you left your coat or anything inside, good luck. It's just there. And someone else is going to have to wear it out. Because once you're out, you're out. And you know that the moment you step out into the wilderness, you're not going to be, that door doesn't swing the other way. You're not going to go back to that. You can't go back. You're going to have to step forward or you're really going to look bad. And it's like, look it. And you're like, can you just leave me alone? I mean, cause it's just heroin. It's just drugs. It's just pornography. It's just, I just beat this or I hate that or whatever. And I'm, you know, I'm, okay, so I mean, I'm, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I mean, why do you have to pick, right? You know, you're really messed up when you have to find someone like that to think you're better than. 
You might as well just pick Satan because then everyone will go, I'm not as bad as Satan. And God's like, are you sure about that? At least he knows he's bad. Well, get the idea in all of this that they look and they're like, they're looking at Moses now. I mean, first they cry to God, but they do this. Ah! And then they're like, why did you take us out here? Imagine, Moses, what was Mo- how did Moses get him? Moses didn't get him out there. Moses was being obedient. But I can tell you as a pastor, there are times where this happens. And that's that domestic violence call again. Well, it's like, why'd you get me out of this? You know, my friends aren't calling me anymore. I'm like, you hated those friends last week. Yeah, but they don't call me anymore. Well, of course they don't call you. Well, I wanted them to call me so I could tell them no. Isn't that weird that you want to do that, right? I wanted them to invite me to the party so I could say no. Well, God knew that if you would, they would invite you to the party, you wouldn't have said no. God knew better. I'm like, no, I would have said no. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot you know better than God. Well, and here's the point. Is that all of a sudden you realize everything comes, every choice comes with consequences. You're like, I'm not as popular as I used to be. God's like, and that's more important than freedom. You know, and what they were saying, no, notice, they're saying, please, just let me be a slave. Isn't that enough? Can I just be a slave? That's what I was before. It's all I've ever known. It's not good enough. Hey, I, but, but, hey, but listen, I'm not the only slave. We've got like slave unions. You know, we've got slave clans. Like, you know, we've got slave gangs. Don't mess with the East Side Brick Boys, you know. And in the end of all, I mean, think about it. I mean, by the time you get down to it, friends, it's like they're like, look, can you just leave me alone and let me be a slave? Can you imagine saying that to God? I bet if you're honest, you can. When God says, I want to change this. I want to change this. And you're like, yeah, I want you to change it too, but I don't want you to change it right now. Would you just change it some other time? When I hate it more, God's like, okay, I'll give you more of it. You're like, thanks. God's because you're going to hate it more. And the relationship gets worse. And you work harder and you get less. And things become more futile. And then you become like suicidal. You become like depressed. You start cutting. You start hating life. Those people you enjoyed, you stop enjoying. You stop enjoying everything. And why? Because the life that you're living is getting miserable. And can I just say, God wants you miserable outside of him. Because in him are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And there is no good thing except the one who gives it, the Father of heavenly lights, whom there's no shadow of turning. Every good gift comes from him. So look at, what are you looking at? You're looking, I know, and, and, and I have to believe today, just because of where we're at in this text, some of you, or at least one of you, and God loves you enough to, even if you're the only one, that he makes sure that this is where you're at today, are looking back at Egypt right now and thinking somehow there should be a road back to this. And God's like, have you forgotten how stupid it was, how horrible, how painful, how torturous it was, how miserable it was? Because God's like, you don't want to go back. And there's a part of you inside that says, come on, just leave me alone. Think about that. You want all the blessings of God, but you want him to leave you alone. Because with the blessings of God comes the transformation of God. You know, and it's like, you know what? And I, and people, and you, you look at the moment that people that are in love with Jesus irritate you, you've got to know you're in trouble, right? You realize that? Now, I'm not talking about people's personalities. I'm not talking about the moment that they say praise the Lord and it grates you for it. You know you're in trouble. And you know, even the most in love Christian can get there. 
All they have to do is start turning their back. And all of a sudden, that name Jesus that used to make your heart skip a beat means nothing now. God's like, man, where are you looking? Moses said to the people, and I love this. It says, look, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He's like, in other words, sit down and shut up. It gets funnier for a moment, but you know what I find that's so beautiful in this? This is the second time the word salvation has been used. And I love this progression. The first time was in Genesis 49:18 when Jacob was prophesying over Daniel and he said about the, the he'll be a viper that bites, listen, bites the horse's heel so they'll fall backwards. And then he says, oh, but I've waited for your salvation, Lord. So the first one says, I've waited for your salvation. And then this one says, now stand still and see the salvation. And then in the next chapter, which is the praise song, it says, he has become my salvation. Between I've waited for his salvation and he's become my salvation, it's this place where God says, no, you're going to need to sit down and watch this. I'm going to need to do it for you. And what is God going to do in between? He's not going to just yank you out of Egypt. He is going to listen. He is going to destroy the enemy. That's what he's going to do. He's going to destroy the enemy in front of you. So he's like, it's done. And when the dead man's float happens, it happens. And you watch, and at that point, you're like, look, it, it is over. Don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And by the way, any of you know what the word salvation is in Hebrew? Yeshua. It's the word Jesus. It's just the same. Which he will accomplish for you this day. For the Egyptians, you listen, and look at the beautiful humor in this, beloved. It says, which he will accomplish for you this day. For the Egyptians, who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Notice the word forever. It says, the Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. You shall hold your peace. Verse 15, and this is where it gets so cute. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell, the, tell, the Israel, tell Israel to go forward. Now don't miss this. So everyone's going, you know, why have you brought us out here to kill us? And Moses goes, look at it. Look at Sit down. Wait. For the salvation of the Lord. He is about, those Egyptians you see, they're going to be no more. It's going to be over. Done for good. And then God says, why do you cry to me? So what just happened? God totally gave us a whole situation he didn't develop in front of us. Somewhere, imagine Moses being real strong. And if you've ever been in this situation, you know what this is like. Where you're like, yeah, look, look at This is the way it's going to be. Settle down. God's going to do it. <laughs> That's what happened. Think about it. Because God's like, why are you crying to me? Tell the people to move forward. You can see him going, <laughs> what? Say, what? Tell them to move forward. Where? Where? Towards the Egyptians or towards, towards the death of the Egyptians or towards the death of the sea? God, you know. I could stack five shards and the top still wouldn't reach. Why do you cry to me? And isn't it, listen, 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 beloved. Isn't it beautiful that God didn't record that conversation? I think of those moments like that where you were strong for a moment and then you melted and God's like, I think we're just going to wipe that one from the slate. Isn't that mercy? 
Because he could just say, and let me just tell you what Juan said in English and in Spanish after that moment. Let me tell you what happened when Anthony really got home. Let me tell you when Francis stopped singing and he really just blurred. You know, it's like, and God's like, no, no, no. You know what? Let's, let's just deal with this. Let's move. Listen, listen, listen. Let's move forward. Now, if you came through that gorge, listen, if you came through that gorge and you thought you hit a wall with the water, which they're going to see a wall, they're going to see two of them in a moment, one on their right and one on their left. In that, God's like, you know, you're not going back. You can't go that way. That's reverse. And there is no reverse on this vehicle. You're going to have to move forward. And you go, but I can't move forward. There's nothing there, God. There's nothing there. And God says, perfect. I work real well with nothing. But God, here is the impossible. And God says, oh, that's the category we're dealing with. This is a mile deep. This is 10 to 15 miles wide. And of course, they haven't read the Gospels where Jesus walked on the water. I can, you know, I can swim, but not that far. And great-grandma, she's not going to make it. And, and we, you didn't tell us to bring our floaties. God says, how about this? Lift up your rod. That same rod he's watched God do thing after thing with. That same rod that he had to take by the tail when he learned how to follow is an under-shepherd. When God says, take that by the tail now. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground in the midst of the sea. I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they're going to follow you. But so I will gain honor. Remember that word, honor? So I'll be the heavy over Pharaoh and over his army and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord because God's still really bent on making sure that everyone knows he's the Lord. Oh, by the way, let me remind you, how many of Egypt's chariots are behind us? Excuse me, how many? How much of the army is behind us? Right. And let me remind you, they're behind us. They're not in front of us. They're behind us. What's in front of us? The sea. When I've gained honor, and there's our word again, for myself over Pharaoh's chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, which by the way we're introduced with now, all of a sudden he seems to show up, went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. All of a sudden the angel of the Lord that was in front of us decided to get behind us. Why? Because he went and became a wall between us and the enemy. But it's more than just him. It says, and the pillar of cloud that went before them stood behind them. God just created a wall between you and the enemy. He let you see the enemy, but he didn't let you fight them. And I tend to think the reason why God made that wall is because some people probably would have drowned themselves just, you know, not waiting for whatever it was God was going to do. You know, some people are like that. Some people are dumb enough. They were going to go fight the Egyptians and die in the middle. And God's like, no, no, no. Just remember that sit down part? Sit down. And for some people, that's a really hard command. To me, to be honest, for me, that's a bigger act of faith than God says, get up and do something. Some of you get up and do something is a greater act of faith. But for me, sitting down is a real hard thing. When God healed Nahaman, the Syrian, from leprosy, and he, and he says, you know what, I'm calling Elijah, and Elijah actually sends his assistant. And his assistant says, you know, to the door. I mean, Nahaman comes with his big entourage, comes to the door of the prophet, knocks on the door. You can see him kind of looking ready all like this and... 
Servant opens the door and says, go wash in the river Jordan seven times. And that's the end of it. And the guy just goes mental. And he's like, what? Aren't there rivers in our area better than that? Like far, par. Like, I don't know. That doesn't sound better to me. But yeah. And, then, and he's like, oh, I thought he'd come over and wave his hands and poof, walla, wama, and do some cool dance and like a song from Disney. And I'd be better. And then, and his servant, the Nechaman servant says, you know, if he asked you to do something difficult, would you have done it? And that's a really tough one for me. Because to be honest, for me, I'd be like, yeah. What was insulting? Listen, what was insulting was he didn't ask me to do anything difficult. He didn't ask me to earn it. He asked me to do something humble by faith. Just put your face in the water. Put your body in the water seven times. And he's like, look, do you really want to die of leprosy when he told you you could do something easy? It's amazing how many people will refuse Jesus for the same reason. Now, we're right towards the end of this. Let's close this up. So God just created a wall. Now we can't fight. They can't fight. Everything's kind of held in a stalemate for the moment. Notice in that. It says, notice in verse 20, that so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and Israel, so the cloud of darkness to one and light to the other. So imagine this cloud made it dark for them. They couldn't see anything, but we could see everything. Strange cloud, it could do both. And God, by the way, is always bigger than science. So give it by line, it says, so that one did not come near the other at all that night. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were, notice, a wall to them on the left, and a wall to them on the right, and a wall to them on the left. Now, if the water was just as high as one shard, who's going in the water first? Any of you? Now, think about it. Now, have you ever been, have you seen the shard? If the water, let's be honest, if the water was just as high as this wall, just as high as this wall, which one of you says, yippee, skippy, I'm going in. That's which one of you, which one of you's first? The one who probably thinks he's the best swimmer. And it says, by the way, and don't miss this, when God does this thing, I mean, we're talking about something where you can't see the top of it. And by the way, let me give you some other verses just to kind of play around with this. Look at what, what Scripture says so you know what the Bible says. In Nehemiah 9.11, it says, You divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea, listen, on dry ground, and their persecutors you threw into the deep. That tells me something. It wasn't shallow because if it was shallow, you kind of got it. It wouldn't be the deep. Isaiah 63.13, They led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness that they may not stumble. A beast goes down into the valley. That's the idea. Isaiah 51.10 Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, and made the depths the sea of a road, for you redeemed the crossover? I'm the Lord God who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is its name. Now imagine you've got these walls with roaring waves at the top. What a crazy thought that would be. To be honest, it would be about as high is the sky. It would be water all the way up through the clouds. That would be the idea. Can you imagine a mile high? Oh my goodness. He's divided the seas. Psalm 8, 78, 13. Caused him to pass through. Listen, he made the water stand up like a heap. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as of dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so, listen, were drowned. And I love this word. The word is katapino. And it is the same word that is used in Revelation 12:16, when the enemy tries to come after the woman by a flood and it says the earth opened its mouth to swallow it. It's the same word that's used in 1 Peter 5:8 when it says that Satan comes around like a roaring lion seeking who he might devour. 
It's the same word, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, when it says death is swallowed in victory. It's the same word, by the way, when Jesus says in Matthew 23, 24, when it says you strain a gnat but swallow a camel. It says when the Egyptians went in, they got swallowed. The water just went goop, and that was it. Now listen, let's close this up. This is what it says. Moses stretched his hand, so what happened? The angel of God went before them. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back as a strong east wind. And it says then that all that night they made the sea into dry land. It says, and the waters were divided. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. The waters were a wall to them on the right and left. The Egyptians pursued. Now, which of you was Egyptians? So remember, you've been in darkness. That clouds kept you in darkness. All of a sudden, the darkness has moved. And what you see is the skyscrapers of water and Israel walking through it. And you think, yeah, let's go. Which one of you thinks that? Obviously, they're in the middle of something supernatural. And you want to go and still try to take them down? God's like, it's exactly the way it's going to work, friends. So it says, they pursued them and went into the midst of the sea. Now read verse 23 with me, because there's a specific word I want you to count out to it. Listen, and the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. What's the next word? Oh, excuse me, give it to me. Pharaoh's horses and? Right, and? So how many of his horses? How many of his chariots? How many of his horsemen? How much of the enemy? All. That's the point of it. God wants you to see all the enemy in front of you. It came to pass in the morning watch. Now, we don't know when this started, but we do know this. It's the morning watch that the Lord looked down at the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled them. And by the way, I love this word, because the word, by the way, hamam, hamam, it means to muck with. He mucked with their chariots. He's like, goochie, goochie, goo, wheels are falling off, they're getting stuck. And it says, they took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let's flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. It took them this to figure that out. Then the Lord said to Moses, now stretch out your hand a second time. Now over the sea, the waters may come back. It doesn't say a second time, just stretch out your hand over the sea. That the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, over the chariots and over their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were still fleeing into it. So the water's closing up and you're still running into it. Which one of you wants to do that? So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Look at verse 28. Read it with me. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots of the horsemen and the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Read the rest with me, would you? Not so much as one of them remained. So how much of of the army did God take down? How much of the chariots? How much of the tanks? Right. How much of the anti-ballistic missile aircraft destroyers? How much of their nuclear weapons? He took it all down. That's the point. If Egypt had it, it's now gone. Because when God does something... He does it all. My God's not a part-time thing and he doesn't do part of it and he doesn't do it for part of the time. He does all for all time, for eternity. That's the way my God plays. He plays for keeps. The children of Israel walked on dry ground, dry land in the midst of the sea. The waters were a wall to them on the right hand and left in case you needed to be reminded. And the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
Now, what was our response then? When Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, by the way, God made special note, you saw the enemy dead. Could you imagine? It says that Jesus was manifest that he would destroy the works of the enemy. It's over. The strong man has been bound. You didn't bind him. He did. And here's the difference. If you bind him, like every good sitcom, he breaks free. If God binds him from you, it's done. It's over. Because God, God, when God does it, he does it all. And let me tell you why. Because my God is the Lord of all. And he is God almighty. That's why. So we saw the enemy dead. Israel saw the good work, the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. And they feared the Lord, believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. And then the last verse, the first verse of the next chapter where you know we're going to go next time. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. It starts with this words. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed victoriously the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. And there's something about watching the Almighty do it all that really makes it all worth it. As we go to prayer, now I don't know what it is you think you have to lose today to give it all to Jesus, but he deserves it all. Because he gave it all, and he delivers it all. It's done. Now friends, as we go to prayer, are you holding out? Is there anything left? Are you still saying, you know what, God? You can, you know, don't touch the way I look. Don't touch my, don't touch my attitude. Don't touch my cool. Don't touch my friends. Don't touch my, my, so, my society. Don't touch. Look, at God wants to be Lord of it all. And if you want to play games with God in the end of it all and think somehow you're going to be stronger than him, he, will, he has no problem making your life as clear. By the way, he's not going to make your life ugly. He's just going to show it to you for what it really is, which is ugly. <laughs> Without him, it's ugly. And you can be angry and fight that all you want, or you can surrender to the one who loves you. But do you really want to fight against the God who wants to deliver you from it all? To give you not just life, but to give it to you abundantly, both beyond what you can contain. That's what you're fighting. If you haven't accepted the gift of God, let me just say this. God so loved you that while you were still a sinner, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for everything, everything, to pay for it all. And he took all of your death, all of your filth, all of your slime, all of your penalty, and it all died there at the cross. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and raising from the dead, Jesus now offers you life. All if you haven't accepted that gift, I'd love the privilege of leading you in a prayer. But saints, let me ask you something. He wants it all. My question is, does he have it all? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those today who feel like their life is backed into a corner. Think things are rough. And they think that unless you provide a miracle, they are doomed. 
Show them again from this that you are a God who is not intimidated by the need for a miracle. You're in the business of it. And I pray today, Lord, for every believer in here, God, that I know at those moments often it's because you're revealing pride in our hearts or you're revealing, Lord, that desire to go back to Egypt, back to our bondage, just like we saw in this chapter. So please today, Lord, please give us a distaste for the things of the enemy, the things of this world. Give us a passion for you. And where there's a way out of no way, that's what you tell us you are. Lord, be that now. We want to keep our eyes on you. We don't want to shriek at you. We want to rest and keep our eyes on you and stand still and watch your deliverance, your salvation. So as believers, God, now I pray you would become all. Jesus, you would be everything. Even in this chapter, 1,500 years before you came, roughly, I just want to thank you. And I pray right now, Lord, that we would be willing to surrender completely. And as well, Lord, I pray for anyone and many who may have yet to say yes to you, but today recognize, Lord, that at the gift you gave at the cross, they could call out to you right now and be saved. Between I've waited for your salvation and you've become my salvation, you need to destroy the enemy and all his work in me. And if that's you, I want to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. If you say yes at the end, if you say amen, what you're saying is let that prayer be mine. God, I come to you all guilty. I've done wrong. I've thought wrong. I've felt wrong. I've intended wrong. But you're not intimidated by me coming to you all wrong. Because Jesus, I believe you paid for all my sins at the cross. All my faith failures. All my frailty. All my foolishness. And by faith now, Lord. I say yes to that gift of Jesus and his death on my behalf. And as you resurrected from the dead, I say, and you conquered all death, I say yes to you and allow you to make me a new creation. Not just a better old guy, but a brand new creation right now. So Lord, if that's what you really want to do, then do that in my life, I pray. I give you all. And I ask, Lord, as you take it all and you replace it with so much better, Lord, that today I could walk in the newness of life in you. So here I am. Walk me through your Red Sea, the sea of your living blood that washes me clean from everything. And then that walk me to your freedom as I'm yours. Jesus, in your name, if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.